Kumajana Chugananda Shah, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshuan Militanye Natasma, Shri Guru Yamaha, Pantakapadu Bischa, keep us in the Bivacha, Patijanam Pabanebu, Vaishnavijunamona Maha. Continuing our discussions, Doya Kadamani, understanding a spiritual orientation as opposed to a religious orientation. And it sometimes especially gives neophyte devotee a difficult time. The difficulty I'm referring to is measuring one's personal spiritual progress and the progress of his associates by the ruler of morality as opposed to a ruler of spirituality which in the beginning is difficult for us to comprehend properly. So we touched on this last time. And I want to go a little deeper. First of all, dealing with some discussion of the nature of of this religious orientation. The nature of the religious orientation is that it varies according to culture. It varies according to individual. Specifically, now we see most religious orientations very much culturally based. You have different religions in the world, and they, they have different rulers that they measure spirituality by. And when we hear that bhakti is completely independent of these things, when... Uh, when somebody is as influential in our line as, as uh, I believe it was Jiva Goswami says that truly in the in in bhakti knowledge and renunciation have little if any value in assisting advancement. When you look at religion throughout the world, practically knowledge and and renunciation are very critical in an evaluation of spirituality. So let's look at that and understand its relative position. One man's sinfulness may be another man's saintliness. Everybody has a different position. Now we could look at it uh, through the Vedic, the eyes of the Vedas, and we see that in the Vedas, we have four different ashrams of life, four divisions, social divisions based on works. And these different divisions, even in Vedic, looking at it through the eyes of the Vedas, what is sinful and what is not varies considerably. There's no sin for the householder in engaging in sex life uh, to have a child. For a sannyasi, <laughs> even looking at a woman lustfully is sinful. There is no sin for the kshatriya who goes out and kills an animal to hone his skills, his fighting skills, and eats the flesh. A brahman was to go and eat flesh, <laughs> he would immediately be considered fallen. When we look at at this ruler, the ruler is different for the different men in different varnas and in different ashrams. It's not consistent throughout. It's not applied in the same way. That's one important thing to consider. Why does Krishna emphasize, after all his instructions to Arjuna, the fact that I want you to give up this religious Ruler, I want you to give up this orientation. Abandon this and just surrender unto me. This is what I want. This is the highest form of spirituality. And such high form of spirituality may even require that you give up the ruler of religion altogether. The ruler of morality. And just follow my instruction. And we already went through it. You gave me all your arguments at the beginning of our discourse here on the battlefield as to why this was sinful for you 
to do what I wanted. They were sound. The sound arguments of a fool. But they were good arguments. They were all based on on uh, scriptural injunction. Were they not? I don't want to have, I don't want to, what if I kill all the men, then all the women will be abandoned, they'll be taken advantage of, then all the offspring. My gosh, this battle will basically devastate the society. There's going to be a bunch of hippies running around after this. It'll be like the inner city where the children are not raised in a proper family and the women are just tossed from one man to the other. Because you want me to fight, I will have to kill the true leaders. The Kshatriyas are meant to lead society. It's a pretty valid argument Arjuna put forth. Krishna was not impressed. When we look at religiosity and we think due to our misconceptions. Now, what are these misconceptions? These misconceptions are a symptom of what? Anarthas. Misconceptions. I am this body. I am that. I am so, so many things. So many misconceptions are there. What we noticed in the last class is there was some objection to the complete independence of bhakti. She can go where she wants. Well, how she how can she go into the heart of the immoral man? How can it be that the Bhagavatam sings the glories of the Rasa Leela as the true remedy to destroy the disease of the heart, the lust, born of material identification? is destroyed by entering into a hearing and a repeating of this part of the Bhagavatam. It's, 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 it turns religion on its head. How are we meant to understand it? And then, even Krishna, a Pichat Sudaracharo, even if you see my devotee performing the most sinful activity, he's still a saint. A hundred percent a saint. Not a little sinner, not a little, a big sinner. We talked about that. It's not measured on that ruler. So what is important in our understanding? Where do we draw the line? What is sinful and what is not sinful for the devotee? That very much depends on his good guidance. And that guidance has to be personal and it has to be specific to his circumstance. Now, sometimes there may be some broad-ranging outreach by a great Acharya and some standardized system put in place. But still, the final decision as to what is proper and what is improper for the sadhaka rests in the direction of the guru. So he'll give different directions. For one, for one person, the direction may be, please, you stop half killing the animals. If you're going to kill them, let's kill them all the way and don't make them suffer. Can you at least do that? And even in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna touches on this, doesn't he? If you can't do this, do this. Well, if you can't do that, can you do this? All right. Well, if you can't do that, can you at least be kind? Well, if you can't do you know. Don't we see this in the spiritual master? Well, if you can't do this, can you do, do this or that? It's specific. So then, when we talk about this this ruler of morality, how are we as sadikas to look at this? Well, first, what's very important is to understand how we progress from the beginning stage to the intermediate stage of devotional practice. We go through a stage called anarthanivriti. The misconceptions 
and the samskaras burnt into our nature from repeated exposure to material life gradually dissipate. Parabdha karma is abated. It falls. It retreats. And the tendencies may still be there. And therefore there is fall down from time to time by the Kanista Adhikari. Now, what constitutes an accidental fall down? And what constitutes an intentional fall down? Well, first let's talk about one thing about the nature of devotional service. It's based upon love and trust. There has to be that basis there for the sadhaka to make any progress. How significant is it? Well, at the beginning of the Bhagavatam, it says this literature, who, which is the literal incarnation of the Supreme, this is God, right here, in a book. But it's only meant for one there's one qualification if you want to enter into this mystery, this guyam, Raja Vidya Raja Guyam. The secret of all secrets. You have to be thoroughly honest. So when we look at this and we say, well, what we, we Krishna says, there's no my, my devotee, you do not find fault if he falls down. But we as practitioners, we have to, we have to know what, what's going on. What is, what is a fall down and what is not a fall down? What is just a samskara coming back to give us trouble which we have to work through? When is it an offense? Well, the interesting thing about a sadhaka, a devotee of the Lord, he never sees himself as anything but the most fallen. Even you hear something, you look, Krishna Das Kaviraj goes, Swami, Chaitanya Charitamrita, he's able to pour out the heart of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and give us a, a condensed presentation of what really it means to live in the presence of Krishna's devotees, which is in Krishna's company. Whether Lord Chaitanya or is present with the community, or whether he's not manifest. He's apricot. He's in the background. But this is his movement, so he is here. So what constitutes, when we say accidental, intent, intent? Well, how can you commit any sinful activity without some intent to enjoy. So there's some intent there. So where do we draw the line? Where do we see? Well, a devotee, as I said, he's going to see all he does as I'm a worm in stool. Here, he, uh, here is a devotee who's able to pour out the heart of Sri Chaitanya and give us the deepest understanding. And what's he consider himself? What's he consider himself? That's what he considers himself. I am the most fallen. I am completely enamored by Krishna's external energy. Otherwise, what in the heck am I doing here? Krishna has put me here for a reason. Because I like to be here. That's the way the devotee thinks. So I think it's important to, to, to really recognize when Anartha becomes Aparad. Anartha? Anarthas are there and there is a cleansing of the Anarthas. They're from our bad habits. They're burnt into our nature. They are our nature in contact with Krishna's external energy. I want to enjoy in this way or that way. I'm attracted by this or that. But I want to be Krishna's devotee. So where is this where is this crossover? Where is it still accidental and where is it where is it intentional to the point of becoming an offense to bhakti and really impeding our progress?
Some clues to this can be found in the offenses to the holy name. To disobey the order of the spiritual master. To commit sinful activity on the strength of chanting. There's some real intent in the mind. Some, some cheating tendency is going on. That cheating tendency, that kind of thought process is what closes the door to our swift progress through the Kanista plane of devotional practice. We mean to take advantage. We mean to work the system. That's the distinguishing factor. We have an imperfect senses. We're illusioned. We have a tendency to cheat. We make mistakes. The sadhu is above these four faults. He's transcendental to these things. Anartha becomes aparad. That has to be what is in the forefront of our consciousness when it comes to dealing with the rubbish, our material sense of enjoyment, of exploitation, of getting something for nothing, of working the system, of taking advantage of Krishna's and Krishna's devotees' generous generosity to us in coming and first of all giving us some entrance to bhakti, giving us freely. It is truly fully independent. Amazing good fortune is coming not by our piety. It's coming just by the mercy of the devotee. Once that devotee has has looked favorably, then Krishna enters and he begins his work. This is is what the sadhu sadhu brings into the world of the jiva entrapped in material existence. That opportunity. It's a rare opportunity. What can the sadhu do? The sadhu can can invite Krishna to come in to what appears to be stone or wood or clay so that we can worship. And Krishna is really there. And we notice my spiritual master would beg. He would install Radha Krishna deities and he would beg the devotees, please, please, you take care of Krishna. I've invited him here and I can't be here. Can you just do this right? He would be practically to the point of tears because it is such, imagine having that close of a relationship with the Supreme where you can invite him to enter into a, a material form to accept worship. And he says, okay, sure, here I come. Here I come to save the day. You want me to save these devotees? Here I am. I'm here. You invited me. You lit a fire. You said a couple words, but really it was just the fact that you wanted me to show up and I'm here. I'm ready to eat. I'm ready to be dressed. I'm ready to be taken care of. Now, and I'm ready to purify the hearts of your devotees because you want them to be my devotees. So you're giving them some nama. You're giving them some mantra. Now they're my devotees. Oh, now I'm in charge of them too. I'm going to have to enter them. I'm going to have to enter into their association. I'm going to have to get in there with my bucket and my broom and my buckets of water and clean their heart out. Because that's what you want. Bhakti is completely independent. There's nothing we did. It's not that we were the pious, great, saintly people of the world and Krishna sent, said, well, these people, I'll look at them, they're all hippies and, and they, they, they have some sense of independence. Let me, you know, no. There was a sadhu and he said, let me come. Because why? Because the sadhu that got me out of this jam asked me, 
who didn't even ask me. He kind of hinted, it would be nice if you printed some books in English. Okay, well, let me do that. Because of all you gave me, let me do that for you. And then the sadhu's there. Well, bargaining with Krishna. Hey, listen, if you want to really please Radharani, could you please let me please Bhakti Siddhanta? Because he works in her camp. This is a culture of love. This is what is true spirituality and this is what distinguishes it from religiosity. It is fully independent. It is not measured by the ruler of morality. And it comes forward generation after generation in an unbroken chain of disciplic succession from the heart of one devotee into the heart of the next generation of devotees. It's coming forward. How do we judge? Well, better to always err on the side of caution. Did I accidentally fall down or did I intentionally fall, fall down? It doesn't matter, I'm always falling. Let me understand the nature of, of this, these samskaras that keep forcing me to do things which are contrary to what will please my spiritual master. Because it's only about pleasing him. And his standard for every di disciple may be different. And even in human society, the standards are different from one class of man to another. What we have to do is we have to keep our intent fixed on the proper mood of love and trust. If there is the desire to please the spiritual master in the heart, then what is the, where is the question of trying to work the system, letting our cheating get the better of us, Letting our anarthas become opera rods that stifle our progress. So we don't want to do that. We want to be careful that that does not enter into us. This tendency to, quote, commit sinful activity on the strength of the love that is being bestowed upon us by the spiritual master. Then we'll be safe. Then there's some safety there. There's some assurance that, that the spiritual master, he will protect us. No matter what happens. No matter what situation Maya puts us in. Very quickly, Krishna says, he rectifies his devotees who still are hampered by Anarthas. But if we want to slow that down to the pace of a turtle then just let your intent become dishonest. Try to work it. I can, I can do it. I can do this because I know if I chant, I'll pure. Yeah, it's going to take so long. Some of the acharyas even hint to the fact that you can do major damage. We're talking about maybe you. Maybe your spiritual master has planted in you the seed that that will that would grow into a relationship of 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 romantic affection or parental affection or friendly affection, but you become s such a, an offensive person. You try to work. You don't see the value of sadhu sangha. You don't see the value of what the guru is trying to give. You think, well, I can do this and, and I can chant and make up for it. And when those kind of thoughts come in and we move forward in our life with that kind of mentality, some acharyas even say that what was once a friendly relationship that was given to you, and that can be diminished. Very serious, very serious. To understand that. You, know, you could be Krishna's friend in Braj and instead end up simply 
with some sense of worshiping the Lord's majesty, some some servitorship or even less. Honesty. We have to be honest. We have to be honest with the spiritual master. We have to be honest with ourselves. This is what I can handle. This is how I can progress. And actually, my spiritual master wrote an interesting sentence in, in his Bhagavad Gita commentary. He said, better one be a sincere sweeper in the street than a charlatan mendicant. Nobody likes somebody that puts themselves as, as, as more spiritually adept than they are, as more materially adept than they are. As I said before in the last class, a room full of false diplomas on the wall does not, does not a physician make. He may be able to trick somebody, but when he gets into the operating room and all the patients come out with, uh, come out of bypass surgery, uh, by a trip, uh, gurney journey to the morgue, uh, you know, he doesn't have what it takes. We don't want to be like that. We are what we are. Be honest. We, we are at this. We can do this. I can help in this way. I can give an example in this way. I can't in that way. I'm not there. I'm not a sannyasi. I'm not the. And that's one thing that's very interesting and informative if we look at the blossoming of Lord Chaitanya's movement in the Western world is all these major misconceptions of, of spiritual advancement were quickly dispatched in the very beginning of this movement. So many examples, myself included. I'm a great spiritualist. I'm this, I'm that. So many men of God brothers take sannyas, end up falling down, get in a big position, take the money, run. Just so many things are there and we can look and we can learn from this. And these were great souls, believe me. I look back at the old pictures. I was just looking at what all these devotees that were leading the movement in the very beginning and not a one of them's here now. But they did tremendous service and but Krishna had also another service for them. They had to be, they had to be instrumental in giving foundational teachings as to what is and what is not real devotional service. Bhakti is completely independent. There's nothing we can do to get her mercy. It cut. She runs according to the desire of the Madhyamadakari or the Uttama, who's acting like a Madhyam in order to spread Krishna consciousness. He's coming down. So that avenue, that is the avenue that Bhakti takes. This is where Krishna has empowered his Kripa Shakti to benefit the fallen Jiva soul within his external energy. This is the avenue. And there is nothing that the jiva can do to obtain that mercy. It's not going to go to one over another. If it if it's determined like that, Vishwanath just threw, threw that right out. Well, then Krishna would be partial, right? Well, if Krishna's partial, then it, that doesn't work. So he can't, he can't be the determiner. He leaves it to his devotee. Very subtle points, but very important, very foundational points to understand how bhakti works. And very, very, very important to understand there is no amount of endeavor on our part that it can draw bhakti to us. Now, once bhakti has been given, then there is much we can do to make rapid progress. Sometimes. Sometimes not. Sometimes the baggage is, is just, it's extreme. As I said in an earlier class, what was it? Do we have a storage unit in every town and village we've ever lived in full of stuff? How much are we bringing with us? Some are bringing a knapsack and some are bringing six or eight tractor trailers. It's different. 
So, how do we judge? Well, Rupa Goswami's given us direction. We have to judge. But we judge based on what is good for our advancement. We pick our association based on what is truly going to nourish our devotional practice. And if we leave some association aside, we don't leave it aside with a condescending attitude. It doesn't matter. Somebody may have a fleet of tractor trailers that he's pulling along. A lot of anarthas. And he may have so many that his association will not nourish my spiritual advancement. But still, somehow or other, bhakti has come to him or her. And they are, they are sitting on the bench with us. Now, after the game, we may not go into the, you know, go into the locker room with them to hang out because we know it's not going to nourish my growth. But we don't look in a condescending way upon these other devotees. That was what we brought out last class. What was it? Gadadhar looked at Pundarik Vijaniti and said, my gosh, not a devotee. Judging with material eyes, he, he could not see that this was a devotee. So we have to, what to speak? This is, this is Gadadhar. Who are we to judge other devotees? If he could make such a serious blunder. So these are instrumental, these, these pastimes of Lord Chaitanya and his associates to our understanding of how to navigate the waters of Sadhu Sangha. We look upon all of Krishna's devotees with the utmost respect. But we're careful to find nourishment where there's true nourishment for me at this stage. And like I said, you, an advanced devotee can walk into a class and the devotee is, is brand new trying to give some philosophy, doesn't know hardly anything, and he's scaring everybody away. Oh, we hate women. Oh, we hate homosexuals. Oh, we hate this. Oh, we hate that. You're all a bunch of meat-eating idiots. And the neophyte will say, Oh my gosh, he doesn't know how to preach at all. He's just scaring everybody away. The sadhu can come in and say, Oh, but his heart's in the right place. Just give him some time. He may have to close down his temple for a while because he's not quite ready to open one. Very. It's a science. The science of devotional service. How do we look at things? How do we judge things? How do we judge devotees? Better not to judge them at all. If my guru has given, him his, given his grace to anyone, then I am at their feet. Pujala Raghapadha, even there. Even there I'm worshipping that plane of Kanista involvement. Wow, can we come to that level? where we can set aside the fleet of tractor-trailers that accompany some devotees. So many bad habits they have, so many critical remarks, or, or uh, what we would consider sinful life. Can we really set that aside and just look and say, wow, Krishna has bestowed their mercy through my spiritual master, his mercy, and 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 who who am I to judge? Bhakti Siddhanta put it this way, he said, We are the most lenient with Krishna's devotees. Most lenient. Our judgment is always the most lenient, the most magnanimous with everyone, except for myself. For me there is no leniency. I get up in the morning, I beat my mind with my Shoe in the evening with my stick or whatever. I forget what exactly he said, but the point was, I need a good beating to keep myself in line. But I'm not about to go and beat the other devotees up. If I'm seeing any fault there, it's because it's here. It resides in me. 
At this stage, Vishwanath is really trying to get us to an understanding of the causeless nature of bhakti and distinguishing also the fact that bhakti is that ingredient that makes the other paths successful. And without some little bit of bhakti, they will not be successful. Specifically with the jnani. And we talked about the jnani, those four types of jnanis. One just refuses to, to, to follow those prescriptions in the Vedas that say there needs to be some worship of the Supreme, some bhakti, in order to be successful. The next jnani who who says, well, I need to follow that prescription, so let me have some bhakti, let me worship the, the Lord. Of course, my misconception is that if it has a form, it's a material form, so if I have to worship a, a god, we must have a material form. So I offend him, and there I don't make any advancement. And then the next jnani, he realizes, yes, he has the right conception. Let me worship let me worship and, and have some some worship, some, some engagement in bhakti. So let me worship the Supreme in his spiritual form, which is not a material form. And he's successful. He attains. And the other, well, he hears about that spiritual form of the Lord from the devotee. His heart is turned and becomes a devotee in the hell with this gyan. I don't need liberation. Uh, I don't care. I just want to be Krishna's devotees. So we have examples of that. Vishwanath has used these things. I don't know which verse this is. Only the ignorant say that bhakti can attain its perfection only with the help of jnana. It has been established by the Shastras that bhakti is ever super excellent to mukti, the ultimate goal of jnana. Another thing comes out that's important for us to understand. In the view of the sadhus, jnana and vairagya make the heart very hard. So they're not favorable. This especially false renunciation. Let me renounce. Krishna explains in his instructions to Uddhava at the end of the Bhagavatam, that I really favor those devotees that are not too attached or too detached from material nature. I think the word that uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati uses is indifferent. It, it's, it's, it's really, I've got a job to do here, and my job is to please the spiritual master and his devotees. And through that pleasure, I will give pleasure to Krishna. And my life is successful. That is my life. That is devotional service. There's nothing higher than that. I don't have to go anywhere else. I don't have to do anything else. I'm here. I'm now. And I can become Krishna's pure devotee instantaneously. When that becomes my only motive for life. is just to serve flavorably without a cheating tendency. I'm there. That is a pure devotee. And we talked about this concept of, of not care. There's no, not, the devotee has no care in the world when it comes to what is his material situation. He doesn't let that influence him. And what's the result? All he wants to do is to serve Krishna. And if my bad habits, if my involvement in this world send me to hell, then to hell I go. But I'm never going to give up my devotional service. When he has such an attitude, what happens? Who goes to hell with him and becomes his doorkeeper? The Bhagavatam has so much to offer. Here, here is Bali Maharaj and his spiritual master who says it's a family priest. He's saying, no, 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 no. You can't be a little careful. I, I've detected this. You're going to be taken advantage of here. 
if you offer everything to this this little dwarf, he's actually God. He's going to take everything you have. You're going to be left with nothing. Is that really what you want? Well, if he's God, let me offer him everything. Everything. What's wrong with that? Well, nothing's wrong with that except you're going to have nothing left. I'm your guru and you're feeding me. What am I going to have? Who knows what he was thinking. But anyway, the point was, he said, no, I'll do this. Even if it had, even if in doing it, I end up in hell. So he did. He ended up in hell. But he went there with that God as his doorkeeper. That's the devotional attitude. What is that? What doubt does it really, do you really think Bali Maharaj in any way is lacking for anything in hell right now, which is where he is with Vamadadev there as his doorkeeper, waiting for the change of the next, next Manvantara? You know what his next job is? Anyone? Bali Maharaj? He next becomes who? What did he want so much? Yes. When he's served his sentence, he's going to become Indra. But at this, but I, I often say, what a punishment. I think, what a punishment. But, no, what do I care if I go to hell, if I go to heaven? Where do I, what? Am I so anxious I need to be in Raj now? If Krishna hasn't, if, if, if there's still some work to be done, to get me to the platform that when I actually am, a, am, am, am given an, an invitation to that realm, there is not a speck of materialism in my existence. Let it take a hundred trillion lifetimes. That is the consciousness of the devotee. Nadanam najanam nasundarim kavitrabva jagadishaka mamajanmani jagmani Janmani, Janmani, what to say that and mean it? What a, what a platform that's coming to our service at some time, sometime soon. That platform, when we get through this stage of Anartha Nivriti and come to the steadiness of Nista and then actually start to get that taste, that ruchi, that will let us say that taste is so sweet at the stage of, of Ruchi. We're not even talking about a Sakti where we know what we're going to be or Bhava. We're not, we're talking about just Ruchi. Ruchi is so, such an elevated position for the Sadika that he can say, I don't care if I'm ever liberated. I know Krishna. I taste Krishna every day in every way. It's becoming sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Death, life, doesn't matter. Kingdom, women, riches, doesn't matter. Many followers, doesn't matter at all. What a sweetness one must be tasting to say like that. Sometimes in our, in our beginning stage, we're thinking, oh, I need to run and be in Vraj now, tomorrow, today. How do I get there? No, I have to serve in such a way that somebody would say, you know, they're serving so nicely. They'd serve nicely there. When we become that observed, absorbed in the service attitude, then the door opens. Not that we are standing at the door pounding on it. Let me in, let me in. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. I'm pounding my head on the floor. Let me in. No. Let me serve. Let me please the devotees. That will open the door. We're not going to go in with our boots on. We're not going to be kicking that door down, you know, with our joppa. That's not going to do it. What's going to do it is all I want to do is do some service, some little service that's free of fault, that's free of envy, that's free of fault finding, that's free of cheating. 
Let me come to that stage of service. Then there is the possibility of some success. I've reached my time limit. Any questions? Yes. Well, I was just thinking when you're talking about Bala Maharaj becoming Indra, is every Indra engaged in that Leela with Krishna of um, Govardhan? Hmm? Of trying to kill Krishna and all his cows? And I don't know of my pedigree. Uh, let's remember it's just a Leela. So there's no malintent there, although it appears to be malintent. It's uh, it's orchestrated by Krishna's desire to to actually showcase the residents of Raj and his affection for them and their affection for him. Because in this Leela of lifting Govardhan Hill, everyone becomes extremely intimately connected with Krishna. Special leaders. Yes. I have a quick, small question. Uh, you know, we've been talking about the um, independence of bhakti. Mm-hmm. But then I also heard you say something about when uh, how bhakti has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Where, like um, the guru, you know, plants a seed or whatnot. But couldn't also bhakti decide not to go there? Because she's independent. Mm, that's not the nature of that love. Mm. Let us remember what bhakti is. Bhakti is that loving exchange between Krishna and his pure devotees. So, there's not a time that Krishna isn't going to go out of his way to do exactly what's going to please his pure lovers. Mm. So, when the guru says, you come into this form, Krishna's coming. Wait, you're sending me, you're putting me there? In the middle of New York City? Gosh, you can't even breathe the air? You want me to be on the altar here? And these kids, they, they they were just eating meat six, eight months ago and you want me to be on their altar and let them serve me and cook for me? My gosh. Wow, one of them even fed me meat. What kind of God is that? Very special relationship. That's the loving relationship between Krishna. So, Bhakti's completely independent Bhakti is the love between Krishna and his devotees. It's completely independent of anything that we can do until we are completely absorbed in that selfless service. And then at that time, Krishna will weed out of our hands and he will accept the banana peel when we forget which is the peel and which is the banana. Yes? This is... I mean, we're after time, over time, so maybe next time. But, and I don't get the difference between Aparad and Sin and all mixed in with the generosity of Bhakti and why we even look at those things. Mm-hmm. So either, either could we talk about it next time or you could give a quick example. Like what is Aparad and what is Sin? Aparad is something that's going to inhibit... I would say that... I mean, I mean, Anarta. Anarta. And Aparad. Yeah. Where does it become? Yeah. When that cheating tendency predominates. But can you give an example, like, say, I don't know. Let's say... Well, no, let's, let's, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a nice, no. I do, like, a whole inventory, oh my God, and I'm Sam already, like, becoming neurotic. No. Yeah, don't become neurotic. <laughs> it's not like that. It's not. So See, that's a thing. So I want an example of what it is like. When, when, when anarthas become upper rods, it's when our intent is one to take undue advantage. I'm married. I have a great relationship with my wife. In that great relationship, she satisfies me in every way. Cooks for me, cleans for me, washes my clothes. Does, you name it. Despite that relationship, I have a temporary lapse and I see a young woman 
and he she's attracted to me and I'm attracted to her and we go off and have an affair. My my senses, my sense of enjoyment overtook me and I had a temporary lapse. If I'm fortunate and have a truly loving and understanding wife and if I truly mean it when I say that ain't going to happen again, if I truly mean it and it doesn't happen again, that's just the nature of, that's an anartha that sprung up in my relationship, my loving relationship with my wife, and it's not going to destroy the marriage. If I think, my wife didn't find out about that. There's another woman, she's looking at me and I'm looking at her, and all of a sudden I run off with that one. And another. Then my wife finds out, and I say, I'll never do it again. Then the next woman comes along, and I, I do. I let that anartha become an opera rod to my loving relationship. I become a cheater. I become a liar to support my sense gratification. Whether it be with my wife, my guru, the association of devotees, I put myself forth as one thing, but in the back alley I'm smoking joints or doing that. That's when anarthas become operats. When we try to work the system to my sense gratification. Does that explain it? That's the best I can do. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. When we become a cheater, then then the doors close. Then the relationship can collapse. Huh? What about the little things? What about the little things? The little things, just worry about the big things. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasavanam, all this other stuff. This is just... I'm reminded of the story, uh, one devotee was with Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar, Dave Goswami, and he said, I'm just not for going to making no advancement. Oh, you're making no advancement? And he went through the whole thing. I'm sure you heard Guru Maharaj say it. I don't need to repeat it, but what was the what was the thing? What's the problem? I still like to smoke grass. <laughs> don't worry about it. Go away. If you're sincere, it'll go away. It's not going to destroy your devotional life. Don't get hung up at it. But don't let it take don't let it take over your service that it becomes an operat because your guru said when he gave you diksha, please you, you, you give up these things gradually, according to it's a beginning. Initiation's a beginning. Well, after ten, fifteen, twenty years, you're past beginning. So you better be a little past doing those things. Does that make sense? Nothing to get hung up about. We need to be cautious. We don't want to offend those that have been so gracious to us. Okay? Thank you very much. Thank you.